Saturday night at Amaravati in the second month of this retreat. And I think the thing that one appreciates so much about Buddha's teaching is that it does it's a way of kind of investigating, examining. These words are quite significant in the Pali, Pali equivalents. It's to to look into, to examine, to investigate. And so this is a kind of using our intuition, our intuitive awareness, that directness of watching and listening, examining, experimenting. So each one of us is practicing in order to find out what works, what what brings peace and calm, what helps, what we can tell when the when we're trying too hard or when we're not trying hard enough or putting too much effort, not enough effort, only you know in your, uh, in your mind whether, what the result of your practice is. The importance of, of establishing mindfulness on, in the present for example, is something so obvious and so true that that it tends to be overlooked because uh, this the uh, cultural conditioning is one to where we we do things in the present to you know usually with starting from a lot of uh, ideas and views and and uh, Agendas and so forth that that we uh, we we are coming from, and we're not aware of, of, of that we're doing it. Not aware of what what's motivating us or what our intention is. So even though we kind of pride ourselves on being modern, sophisticated, educated people, uh, sometimes we're you know we're, we're not that at all. We we can easily be influenced programmed, deluded by the, by the world that we live in. Modern advertising is a good example of how, you know, they attempt to, to create in you all kinds of ideas that you need things that you don't really need or want things that you may not even really want. Well, just to uh, kind of intimidate or play on certain fears and certain desires of of uh, 
material world. So the life of a samana say, is uh, is a rather, you know, unique opportunity in in the modern uh, setting because it's seemingly a very old-fashioned, uh, very ancient religion, Buddhism, uh, and the the presence of uh, monks, nuns, shaven heads, robes, and so forth can seem uh, anachronistic in modern materialist society such as this one. But I think that's that, that's what's very important about it. I remember one time years ago before I came to England uh, at Wat Nanai Chat in Thailand, uh, there was this Australian uh, man came to stay for a while and and it, it, this was at the time that I was al- I'd already accepted the invitation to come to England and so uh, he stayed with us for a while and he said uh, he, was, he was very critical of our style and what on our chart kind of old uh, fashioned Thai Buddhism very conservative uh, style keeping all the rules not handling money, eating only one meal a day, uh, all the rest of it. And he said, uh, he said, when you go to Europe, he said, you, you should do something really, uh, you know, something that will really uh, be different. You know, really, because the Europeans, they need, uh, they need to be uh, kind of uh, shocked. They need to be uh, startled. They need things that will uh, really wake them up. And, and he was uh, thinking that the old Thai tradition was was uh, something that uh, wouldn't fit into the European environment at all. So listening to him go on a bit, I said, look, I said, this would be the most shocking thing I could ever do. Go and live in England as a Buddhist monk. <laughs> totally new, totally different. They've never seen anything like it before. The Dhamma teachings are some, something that quite uh, revealing and quite a revelation uh, that's never had any kind of real understanding uh, in the in the West. If I just take this old Thai tradition and implant it into Britain, that will be something completely new, completely original. Learning to meditate and 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 uh, learning to 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 be mindful, say establishing mindfulness, and the fact of being a monk or a nun. It's just like like when we every morning and every evening uh, have this chance to to contemplate our own commitment, our lifestyle, to remind ourselves of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and what we're doing, because. It's easy to to forget what what the, our intention is, what our our goal is in this life. We can be so caught up with with uh, just getting uh, conditioned or institutionalized, or or uh, just going along with it, or just being caught up with worldly uh, desires in the monastic life, and forget. What, what the what the purpose of all this is. And this is why we need to keep reminding ourselves to recollect, reflect, remember. 
the human condition is one of remembering and forgetting, isn't it? We, we forget things, we remember things. This is, we have this memory where we're creatures with, that have a retentive memory. And so mindfulness is, is remembering, bringing into consciousness the way it is. Remembering that it's like this. Remembering that this is Saturday night, that this, that this is the end of a day, that this is the middle of a retreat, and, and that it's like this. Because we can just go through without remembering, thinking these are just obvious facts and not worth, not worth the trouble. But what it does do is it, it helps us to reflect, to begin to notice and to, to observe the way things are, rather than just be carried away by the momentum of our habits. My reflections on time in the morning uh, pujas is yesterday is a memory, tomorrow is the unknown, now is the knowing reflections. To, to, uh, just to, to examine the perceptions of time is quite some, is something that we most people never really do. Why is the past right now? What is the past? Like we're here, sitting here in this place now. The time is now. We're conscious. Conscious beings, the time is now. Yesterday, what is that now? And what is the future now, in terms of actual experience? And so this is a reflection, isn't it? The past, yesterday, is a memory. Now we remember yesterday. The future, we don't know, is the unknown. The present is like this. There's consciousness, there's the body, there's the breath, breath there's the silence, there's, there's eyes, eye consciousness, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind, memory, bringing into our consciousness this time the way it is. Just what, you know, what is what is it, that which is here and now, the way it is, as actual experience. So that for the, in regards to time, the past, then the presence, of the experience of the past is memory. And yet we can live our whole life without ever really contemplating the past, giving the past a reality it, it really is, it doesn't deserve. And we can we can live in the past. The more the older you get, the more you live in the past. And by my age now, you get quite nostalgic for things, the past or your childhood, like that. Things of the forties, and they hear music or see styles or things of the forties, and it brings back kind of nostalgia. Where at one time I could care less about. That look, look down on the old days, old-fashioned times. But 
get older than the, at least this is my experience, the past is uh, seems to have more uh, important than the future. What is the future? A few more years and then death. Old age, sickness, death. <laughs> when you're young, isn't it? When you're young you think you, you don't have much to look back on, so you look for, forward to the future. Success, happiness, good times, or maybe the future will bring, maybe you'll be a failure, maybe everything will go wrong. But the future is unknown. So, so in the present, knowing, the unknown is the unknown. Don't know is like this. To not know something is like this. So we're, with intuitive awareness, we're noticing what it is like not to know the future. We go to a fortune teller or astrologist, predict the future, but still we don't know the future. We might have hopes or expectations or fears, dread about the future, but we don't know. So in this this way of, of recollecting, examining the way it is, this is just uh, noticing that life as a human individual is like this. Conscious, or body conscious, sensitive, sense organs. And we, uh, we're recollecting the body, the posture, the, the, uh, the, sen the sensitivity of this form. Its organs, its 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 form, its feeling. We're we're contemplating it. In other words, we're we're beginning to notice what it is in the present moment. It's like this. Now what this, the aim of this practice is, is to, is to have insight into the way it is, so that we break down the, the illusions and the assumptions that we have, the habits. Because, the, the, as I've said many times, the big, the big uh, illusion, big delusion for all of us is the sense of, I am this body, I am this person. Because that's how we're conditioned to think, that's how our culture has conditioned our mind, that we believe, we, we, we operate from that, I have a past, I have a future, I'm this person, I'm this personality, I'm this body, this is mine. And so this I am is uh, something also that we begin to investigate. What is this I am? And this sense of, what is this personality? So asking these questions to ourselves, we, we begin to kind of think about it and kind of reflect on, on what, you know, what, what we think we are or what we assume we are or what we feel. We begin to notice what feeling is like begin to be awakened to maybe all kinds of emotions that before we've never really observed or been aware of. 
feelings of sadness or loneliness or feelings of, of fear and anxiety or maybe we, we tend to react to feeling and, and but not really notice it, not really uh, recognize it or accept what we're feeling. If we're just bl- caught in the in the force of habit, momentum of conditioning, then we're, then we are creatures who are trying to find happiness, trying to get rid of suffering. So when when we have a, an unpleasant mood or state of mind, we tend to want to get rid of it. And notice in meditation how much time we can spend trying to get rid of of unpleasant feelings, both physical and mental because we would like to have just only pleasant ones, blissful, rapturous feelings, peaceful ones. But in insight meditation, it's not important to, 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 have, to be peaceful or rapturous or blissful, but to observe the way things are, the impermanence of both pleasant and unpleasant feelings and emotions, conditions, the anicca, the and the anatta of it. No matter how strong these, the sense of oneself might seem to be according uh, with the emotion, when you really look into emotional experience and mood and mental mental formation, the, you find that there's nothing to it. There's nothing you can say is really a soul or a self. So then, breaking down the assumptions, the illusions, the ignorance around our human state, the aim is, the ultimate aim of realizing the deathless. And that's what all religions are about, isn't it? The aim of, 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 if it's a religion, proper religion, then it's about realizing or recognizing or finding or experiencing or uniting with the, that which is deathless, immortal, And it's interesting that when you say deathless, people sometimes find Im- the word immortal a bit strange because it just means deathless, doesn't it? That which doesn't die. But yet yeah, the English word immortal also has, it's connected with various other legends and uh, and uh, so that we can think of, of a soul or something personal that I have is immortal. Isn't that really... Uh, that there's something immortal um, that is specifically mine is one assumption many people have. We each have our own soul which is immortal. Or they're the, the immortal gods, the old legends, myths. But the death, that which doesn't die, or the unconditioned, the unborn, uncreated, with uh, Buddhist teachings, he's, he's, he's using different words, uh, negating, uh, the, using the negative forms. 
to point to an ultimate realization of the deathless, the unconditioned, the unborn, uncreated, unoriginated. Nibbana. Now with the with the, because of the, the psychology behind, say, this way of of negation is because the as soon as we affirm something, we it, it, it's like we're giving it birth. We're giving it, a form comes in, or a belief, or a image, or a symbol, or something. Affirmation tends to to be uh, to to represent uh, something that uh, uh, we we easily cling to. Where negation is, uh, as as an experience, tends to be taking away things. And if you notice in 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 actual experience of meditation, you're rather than getting things and acquiring things, you're actually relinquishing, renouncing, letting go of everything. If you're meditating properly. If you're acquiring things and gaining things, that means you're not meditating properly. But if you're losing everything, abandoning, renouncing, letting go, then you're meditating properly. Because the self-view is a, is a based, you know, as self, as a sense of ourself, as a person. I want to gain, I want to get something I don't have. I, as a personality, I've, the, the, the personal view tends to be one of, I, I need something I don't have yet. Or something I have now, I shouldn't have, I should get rid of it. I've got bad habits or things, I've got to get rid of those. And I've got to get something that I don't have yet. So I want to get rid of the bad things uh, and uh, and get get hold of some of the goodies. And that's how the my my mind works as a from the uh, conditioned thinking process and the assumptions of a self. But in meditation now we're even contemplating this this illusion that I am somebody who has to get rid of faults and weaknesses and bad habits and get something I don't have yet is that really the way it is? Am I really a kind of permanent person with permanent faults that I need to get rid of in some way? You know, the, the faults I have I can think of as maybe you know, they're, they're with me all the time the kind of latent maybe if influencing everything and I've got to get rid of all that and then and I've got to acquire these kind of samadhi states or some kind of level of concentration or I've got to get uh, the eye of the dumb I've got to attain and achieve which I don't have yet uh, as a person so uh, and it's an endless struggle because I come here and meditate and then I sit here and then I, I've got a, these uh, Defilements arise. I'm trying to get rid of them. Struggle trying to to get rid of them, and then I'm trying to get all these other states, positive states, and even when I do feel I'm getting somewhere, it can easily collapse. Next time I can, 
Uh, they ring the bell and you go out and walk for one, come back in, and, and all the previous hours attempts at getting the eye of the Dhamma and a high level of samadhi and gone down the drain. Despair. So that way of thinking, isn't it? We're, we're contemplating that way of thinking, the, the self-view, the, the, uh, the conditioning of the mind is like that. It's the way we're conditioned to think. That's the, what our culture uh, believes in, is a self. And we're also conditioned to, to uh, think of ourselves in terms of faults, especially emphasize what's wrong, weaknesses, faults, defects. We also, maybe, if we help so aware, maybe our good, good sign, but for many people, modern people, the problems are around the endless kind of self-disparagement or obsession with their faults. So this is all personality view. This is conditioned personality view. So the the, with the mindfulness, we're beginning to see it in terms of what it really is as perception, memory, habit, things that, that, that have been put into us, but are not really ours. The personality is not what we really are. The faults, or even the virtues, we're not, we're not faults, we're not virtues. These things uh, arise and cease in consciousness according to other conditions. So we began to let the the idea of attaining and achieving suddenly no longer seems real or true. And when the idea of attaining and achieving no longer seems real or true, the idea of, of uh, loss is no longer a sense of loss. In fact, we we feel much more a, 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 an inclination to relinquish than to try to gain anything. Because when we, when we awaken to the true Dhamma, we realize there's something with us all the time. It's never, never separate, never absent. We don't have to get it. We just awake to it. Pay attention. Awake to the reality. It's not something you're lacking or that you don't have. It's something you forget all the time. You overlook because you're looking for something else. So you can see with mindfulness is this recollection, bringing in to, into consciousness the way it is in this kind of examinating, examining, investigating way. People keep saying Buddhism is a passive religion. This is the common uh, complaint or criticism of Buddhism. I think the Pope even mentioned that in his book. Passive religion. Because it, it maybe it looks that way. I mean, the images of sitting, meditating, looks passive, doesn't it? Like it? Or the, the images of the Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree, or... The idea of monks or nuns, people that leave the society to go off, desert the society to go off and sit under a tree to watch their breath, aren't involved with all the 
the uh, social issues, political problems of the time, kind of deserting the society. So, it, in one way, when you look at it in in the, in in terms of uh, how a Western mind might interpret that, it might look passive or uncaring, as if the world is bad. Let's just leave it. I want nothing more to do with it. Leave me alone. But that's not possible. I mean, we're, we're all connected, isn't it? We're all together on this. We're all involved in, on this, in this universe. There's no way we can just say, I'm not going to participate anymore in this universe and, um, and expect that that's possible because we're part of the whole. And so contemplate, what, uh, if you really want to help your family, your society, the state of humanity on planet Earth, or all the animals and creatures and the environment and so forth, what one thing we can do, all can do, is to develop mindfulness, use mindfulness. Because as we, as we understand Dhamma more and more, the sense of the selfish needs and things that cause conflicts, the divisiveness of selfishness is suddenly, we, we no longer incline to it. We, we let go of that, that illusion. Also recognize that the Buddha, even in his ancient, in the ancient times when he established the monastic orders, the Sangha, he tied them to the lay community. Mo Buddhist monks have to live near the lay people because it's for basic requisites like food, bindabat, uh, collecting alms food and things like this. We, we're, we're dependent on lay people. We can't become hermits going off living in mountain caves and uh, saying, I want nothing more to do with, with you. I want to go off and have some peace all by myself in a, in a Himalayan cave. Oftentimes we feel like that. I certainly felt like that plenty of times. I wish I could be a hermit, go off and live in a cave. Goodbye, everyone. Especially when things get rough, when there are a lot of problems and you're fed up with it all. You think, oh people, monks and nuns, and lay people. Yeah. Let me alone. Give me some peace. I want to go off to my cave. So one has, when you, there's certain selfish tendencies of just, uh, you know, that, that I think many, most of us experience in this life of wanting to, to, uh, to leave and, and be left alone and not have responsibilities, not have to participate in a society we no longer are interested in or, or that we might be very critical of. But the, the interesting thing is that we are tied to the society. If we're going to live by the rules, by the Vinaya, then we, we have to live in proximity to lay people. And so that, that's, that's, that's an interesting 
situation to be in. Why? And then because the influence, isn't it? There's, we're, we're together in there. The lay people, the, the, the samanas, the, the monks, the nuns, the lay people, we're, we're, we're together. We're part of each other. We support each other. We help each other. Say if we're developing Dhamma in the right way. It's not just leave me alone. I don't want to be bothered. But we also share our blessings. And then every evening we chant the, the verses of sharing of aspiration. We say, through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual companions and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, my relatives, the sun and the moon, everything. We share the blessing of our life with Queen Elizabeth and John Major. With everybody. With the leaders, political leaders, with um, all people having to be in responsible positions that make decisions that affect others. For every kind of creature, for the, for, for the, the devils, the demons, we share with the blessings of our life. What other religion would share the blessings of their life with demons? And then people say, we shouldn't offer any blessings to demons. But they don't understand, do they? They think, they, they think that it's going to make them more demonic. But actually, demons benefit from blessing. They, be, they become less demonic. And when we when we when we live in the right way and our lives are then something that is free from selfish intention, free from delusion, then that is a benefit. It helps the demons to to free themselves from their misery. And if you don't believe there are any demons, then then miserable human beings who act like demons. And if we if everybody, you know, if there was no, we're no monks, no arahants, no saints, no really virtuous people or beings on, on this planet. If you think it's bad now, just imagine what that would be like. There was absolutely, everybody was completely selfish, self-centered, only interested in getting everything for themselves, not, not caring about anyone else. No moral integrity. But because we are, we, we, we long for that, don't we? We, love, we? we have that aspiration for the beautiful, the good and the true. And even though we can be demons sometimes, we can be very self-centered and, and very narrow-minded, we also can be very grand, very beautiful. So the aim of the samana and for all people practicing the Dhamma is to develop that, move toward that, which is truly beautiful. Not to become a beautiful personality uh, as some kind of, for, for egotistical purposes, but out of compassion, out of love, 
out of the greatness that that we can rise up to when we let go of the uh, selfish infatuations. So it's not passive in a religion. It's not just the world is bad. Let me out of it. Uh, I'm going to get enlightened, and I don't care about what happens. Just as long as I get out of the system, that's that's it. Admittedly, sometimes it feels like that, but uh, it's not a state of mind that brings happiness or that one encourages in this life. You notice the the uh, spreading of metta. And first, you start with yourself: "May I abide in well-being." Then you then you chant: "May everyone abide in well-being." Because we're in this together, aren't we? We're all related. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all with everything. We're all a, we're part of the whole. This creature here, this being, this conscious form here, is a part of the whole. That I can't get a, away from it and just cut myself off. I mean, I might delude myself into thinking I can do that, but I can't. But I can be a, a channel or a, or can or a instrument for blessings, for doing good, for uh, helping, for compassionate action on the in this on this planet in the, at this time, and the best way to do it is to relinquish the selfish delusions of the mind, break through the 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 illusoriness of the conditioned mind, and then. What operates through this conscious form then is Dhamma. We're in flow with with that which is truly beautiful, good. So what flows out, what comes through these forms, these human forms, is is not no longer a personality, a, an ego, a, a me, but the Dhamma. They're like giving blessings, a field of blessing, a field of merit. But we never, we don't think I'm a field of merit and a field of blessing. We're letting go of that whole illusion. And so, but when, so when we free the, the mind from these, the I am, the self illusion, then these are like, these are like, uh, vehicles for blessing. Let's think of on this planet Earth with all the 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 uh, billion billions of people, five billion, five point four billion people. I think population of the of planet Earth. And if five point four billion, all of all of us were just selfish nasty little creatures or say the other all of us became enlightened 5.4 billion arahants on planet earth
But out of 5.4 billion people on this planet, I have only control and only ability to decide for only one out of that 5.4 billion. That's this one. I can't force uh, Dhamma in the, and make, uh, make the rest into arahants or enlightened beings or even a little less selfish or a little less deluded. But I can do it with this one. This is my... This is what I can do. This is possible. This is within my right, my potential, my ability, my capability with this this one here. This is so even though it might look passive or or self obsessed, it's not. Because once you're doing what you can do. And if each one of us does that then 5.4 billion arahants is possible. But don't wait for the rest to do it. <laughs> don't say, don't say you do it first and then I'll follow. You do it first. And, and it doesn't matter if anyone else follows. It's not, that's, I mean, be nice, but we can't force, force them to. Because this, the whole point of this life is is taking the responsibility for your life. You know, really seeing the potential, the the purity, your true, the true purity of your of your of your existence, and to be able to to remember that, and to relinquish and abandon all the delusions. So when we contemplate this, it's, we, we begin to see the human condition is something to really respect, not to despise. We can be de- demonic, we can be you know, really horrible little creatures too, but we have a choice. We don't have to be. We can choose. We can be just a mediocre kind of person that just doesn't do much of anything with their life. Doesn't even try. Different level, different different uh, degrees. But also, there's this possible to be to to realize the deathless. To realize that that these conditions that are born and die are we're no longer clutching, holding, identifying ourselves with mortality. So this is for your reflection and contemplation uh, and encouragement to uh, to keep going. It's a, it's a you know it's something that that is very pure and very beautiful in itself. But it also means we have to learn how to bear with, to have patience and and not be averse and, and negative towards what is impure in ourselves or anyone else. 
And we're no longer putting ourselves in the, in the position of judges and critics, but of, of beings who are mindful, seeing the Dhamma, what all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing, and is not self. And they realize that the true nature of, of, the, of the Dhamma, the imatta, the deathless, the immortal reality, in which the separateness is no longer the thing that we believe in, the divisiveness, the separateness, the conditioned state that we are experiencing is no longer our reality. It's just it's just the the way it is in the present. But the reality is the understanding and the insight into the deathless. I offer this for your reflection.